This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles, by the way, uh, would you open them to Romans 12? If you don't have your Bibles, would you holler at one of your kids and have them go get it for you? Because um, I really would love for you to read along uh, with us in uh, what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and as you're doing that, Romans 12, I have um, been giving a lot of thought uh, this week about, like, so how do we know what's persecution? How do we know what's just good, you know, litig- like laws and, and rules? You know, so when a, a pastor in Mississippi is being arrested, is that persecution? Uh, us not being allowed to meet in our building, is that persecution? And if it is or isn't, then what do we do about that? Like, that's the question. And, and, and biblically speaking, it's never about my rights. It's about what is right. Okay? My rights and what is right aren't always the same thing, by the way. Now, so put that in your, uh, in your thinking cap. Put it in your pipe and smoke it, whatever. But let's, I want to read this to you. And I want to show you what I think the Bible is telling us, how we can, especially in this next month, in these months to come, uh, what he might be telling us as a, as a church family. So Romans 12, verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, verse 15. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be uh, willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Uh, verse 17, don't pay, uh, repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, if you want to look at what the definition of bless is versus curse, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I've always read that, by the way, biblically, look at that, I'm going to stick it to him and make him feel really bad for how they treated me. Uh, is that what the Bible is actually saying? We're going to answer that question. In verse 21, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's God's word. I want to pray. And where you are right now, if there's a lot of chaos in your house, like like there generally isn't mine, take a moment just to connect your spirit with the Lord this morning, with each other, and just to be present. Wherever you are, we've got these multi-campuses right now. And so the, the campus in College Grove or the campus in Columbia, wherever you are, just take a moment and connect with the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful that in a, in a time that's actually kind of confusing, that your word brings light to us. It brings wisdom to us. We don't have to guess We don't have to wonder because your word is is clear and it's a light and it's a lamp. And Lord, I pray for me personally, for my family, for my church family, that your word would speak really clearly to us today. Uh, This is not something that we are trying to guess ethereally. This is real life stuff for us right now. 
And so what do we do? How do we live in this climate, in this, in this current time? That's our, that's our prayer, Lord. <laughs> We're so thankful. In Jesus' name. Bless those who persecute you. Like, let me tell you what, um, like where I grew up, and I know some of my family might be watching this morning, like blessing someone who persecutes you is literally the exact opposite of what you want to do. You want to go out and fist fight them. We used to have uh, Jack and Jill Alley across the street from my elementary school, and if you were going to scrap and get into a fight, that was where. You, wanna, you would meet them in Jack and Jill Alley. Uh, one of my greatest memories of childhood is uh, my buddy Troy Covey was being picked on. We were fifth graders, and he was a sixth. This kid that was picking on us all was the sixth grader. And, and they were going to meet uh, at Jack and Jill Alley. I don't remember why we didn't end up in Jack and Jill Alley. What I do remember is that we uh, did end up in a fist fight. And it was like this circle of like, it was a classic middle school uh, fist fight. Uh, and and uh, I shouldn't say his name. He might watch it. So he's... Uh, He's got his fists up. Troy's got his fists up. And the thing he, that nobody knew about Troy in that day and age, and nobody still has learned, is that he's left-handed. And so when he threw his first punch at, at this kid, it literally knocked him to the ground and gave him a black eye that was celebrated. And I remember we were like parading around. It was like the, how the movie is supposed to end, right? With Stand By Me movie, whatever movie where kids are fighting, that's the way that it's supposed to end. Sadly, that's not how it ended for me most times. But on that moment, that was what we, uh, that was street justice of, uh, of redneck kids from Nebraska. And that part, by the way, of... That feeling of gratification is, is very human, and it's not from a good place in my heart at all. Um, because he says here to bless those who persecute you. And we, have, we can talk about all kinds of real life, whatever, but, but the word persecution in general, we probably better define what that is before we go any further. The Bible speaks of persecution. Do you remember last week when we used uh, the word practice hospitality and how we said that means to go after those who are not like you, to welcome them where they are, not wait for them to come to you. You're following after them. This is a mind-blowing thing to me. It's the same word for persecution, but in a negative connotation. Someone is coming after someone who's different than them, but not to welcome them, but to harass and to marginalize and to uh, stifle them. And, for us in America, especially right now, we have this idea that persecution, because it's not like it is in China or in Pakistan, that our persecution uh, isn't the same and isn't whatever. But persecution, in a biblical sense, exists kind of on a spectrum, right? So what happens when someone is arrested and imprisoned? has persecution. What happens when someone is being yelled at and shouted at? Persecution. What happens when the New York Times runs an article blaming Christians for the pandemic because we aren't science-oriented? That's persecution. When Harvard decides to host a homeschool uh, conference to say that if you're homeschooling your kid, you're violating their rights. This is true. This was happening. Thankfully, the pandemic uh, canceled it. But if you saw it online, you saw that the image they had was this picture of this little child inside of a house while all the other children were having fun outside. And the house was made of books. This was the, the homeschool mom keeping him inside. And one of the books was the Bible, right? 100% saying that if you're a Christian and you want to put that into your child, that you are violating their rights, that's persecution. Like, it is literally anti-Christian bigotry. That's, so my point is, is it's whether, where it is on the spectrum, it doesn't really matter. It's there. When Samaritan's Purse drops a 
a hospital in the middle of Central Park for free. And then, of course, media and whatever, they're going to start running stories that talk about, you know, the, the quote unquote growing opposition, which I found hilarious because the photo of the growing opposition had eight people in it. Um, but that said, from the media's perspective, this is, they're, they're not focusing on what was good, but on what's bad. And they're not, to put it differently, they're not just uh, not Christian or unchristian. They are anti-Christian. They are diakos going after your belief. And the idea isn't that it's harmful uh, for people to meet together uh, from a science perspective. It's harmful for us to be together at all because Christianity is harmful. That's kind of what it is in uh, the world right now as far as persecution. But look, let me answer this question. I want to say this as clear as I can. Us not getting to meet together from a biological, from a scientific perspective, where that is, we didn't know about this virus. We have a governor that loves the Lord. He's spirit-filled. I'm thankful for Governor Lee. Him saying don't meet for this season was not persecution, right? That is wisdom that we are seeking. So wisdom says, hey, don't meet if your group gathering is going to be harmful. Persecution would say you're not allowed to meet because Christianity is, is harmful. Does that make sense? They're not worried about the biology. Some of these guys are not worried about that at all. They're worried about the Christianity part. Now that said, in these coming days and weeks and months, some of that will bleed over into it. We're going to at some point be coming together. We're going to do it safe and we're going to do it sensibly. And I want you to know that even though we do, we're still going to hear from people that think that we are harming people and that we're, and the subtext, for most times anyway, isn't that we're harming somebody with the biology, but harming somebody with our Christianity. Those are two separate conversations, if that, if that makes sense. And we will absolutely uh, listen to our government authorities for that when it comes to our physical safety, when it comes to our spiritual safety. That's a whole conversation. We're going to the Lord. So what do we do? How do we respond to that kind of persecution? He says, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Fascinating idea here. I don't want to do this at all. I want to fight those who persecute me. How do I not, right? How, how do I not do that to say, so what I really want to do is get online and troll the trolls, right? If we're going to use modern parlance, most of what's happening right now in persecution world would be the trolls that are coming just to say, I mean, my, uh, my brother had a post about a week ago and one of his friends jumps on and talks about, well, if you guys in your little book club want to get together and kill people, that's, it's a troll moment there. So what do we do for the troll? What I wanted to do to the troll is, is humiliate him and, and to... Uh, make him feel like he is stupid. Uh, the same part of me that wanted to run around the circle cheering on Troy beating up the bully wanted me to take a lap around this guy and what he said, which was, I mean, honestly, it was just ignorant and it wasn't true and it wasn't accurate. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. He's calling us to bless them. And why is it that, that why should we even do that? Like, is God trying to be a buzzkill? Or... James 3, if you, if you have your Bible and want to turn there, it's just a couple books over. In James 3, he's talking about the tongue, like the, the thing that you say that you could hurt somebody with, you could persecute somebody with, you could curse somebody with. And he talks about uh, how livestock, you can train a wild horse, right? You can train most animals, Tiger King, anybody, right? You can train those, but the one thing you can't train is your tongue. But here's what he says. This is why it's so important. Because with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, which we just did. And with it, we curse human beings. The same mouth praising the same God 
cursing someone else who have been made in God's likeness. When I curse them, I am insulting God's creation. I'm insulting somebody that he says, Romans 5 verse 10, back in Romans again, that while you and I were yet enemies of God, what do you do to your enemy? You love your enemy, you don't. You bless those who persecute you. Romans 5.10 says that while you and I were still enemies, that we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved through his life. You and I who are in Christ were enemies of God until he did what he's only asking us to do, which is he blessed those who persecuted him. He is blessing and not cursing by sending his own son for that. And when I think of it in that way, man, it's a, by the way, this is like an every minute thing for me. I mean, if Jamie Brandenburg, if you're watching, he and I had a conversation yesterday and I'm finished with that conversation thing. And I just said all these mean things about people who are doing stupid things. And I'm going to have to go talk about blessing those who persecute me tomorrow. I'm still working in the same way you're working on it. But when I go back to the idea that the person that made that, that meme about homeschoolers that's anti-Jesus, anti-Christian, they're actually not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. They're a hostage in that situation. And the way that I can reach out to them, I mean, when you, it's Martin Luther language, right? When I, when I uh, meet evil with evil, when I meet hate with hate, all it does is the cycle continues. It's like Pong back and forth. Pong, hate, pong, hate, pong, hate. But by saying, I'm going to, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, you're literally diffusing, you're stopping the hate cycle by doing just what Jesus did for us, which is to not respond to us the way that I deserved, but to respond to me as God's creation. Now, that said, I want to say this really, really specifically, because it does not mean that as Christians, we don't stand up for what's right sometimes, for our rights sometimes. In Acts chapter 16, Paul had just, it's, it's a story that Joey has already shared, you know, the, the earth uh, quaked and the jails flew open. And by that point, Paul and Silas had been beaten, they had been imprisoned, and the gates had opened. And so the guards came to let him out. And Paul said, no, no, I'm a Roman citizen. You beat me without a trial. I want to see the magistrates. Now, he did that in love, I suppose, but it's just, that was his right. And he did it and said, this is, the, this is my right as a, a Roman citizen. This is what the law allows. Now, for us as a church family, uh, we just celebrate our 10-year anniversary as a church, which is uh, fascinating. But 10 years ago, we were told at a local school, you can't meet here. Uh, we don't want churches here. We can't find someplace else and good luck with all that. And at first I was like, man, what's the wisdom say here? Because that's not what the law says. And we were super blessed because uh, Jay Seculow, who I don't know if Jay or Logan or Jordan or Pam, anybody's watching, but Jay happened to win the Supreme Court case that allowed churches to meet in schools. Like he was the one that took it to the Supreme Court so that Lamb's Chapel uh, in New York City, I think it was 1992, was the first one. And because of that, churches have been allowed to meet in schools across the country simply because if you're going to let 4-H do it, if you're going to let the Boy Scouts do it, then equal access says a church should do it. That's just going to the Constitution. And I remember Jay saying, Darren, it was a 9-0 to zero victory on the Supreme Court. There is no wiggle room in this. So we didn't sue the school. We just said, 
Here's a letter saying this is our rights and we're asking for our rights and we moved in six weeks later. So we didn't roll over when our rights were violated, especially when it didn't harm other people. And somewhere in the middle of all that is where the wisdom of what we have to do for conduit as a church. Now, in these coming weeks and months, there's going to be a lot of questions. Like, how do we meet? Do we, do we have to wear face masks? Do we not? And I was seeking the Lord on that because some people think face masks are necessary. Some people think that they're not. And both of them have science arguments for it. What do we do? And I was reminded of a story uh, in the book of Acts where the early Christians were making a case, uh, the Jewish Christians, that the only way to be a Christian was you had to get uh, circumcised. Now, I don't know how you put that on your invite card, uh, on your postcard to your neighborhood, uh, but we're going to need you to get circumcised. Um, so they have this huge council of, of things that we're going to do this, and, and, and Peter's this and that and the other. And, and they finally come to the statement of theology, which is, no, there's, you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. So all the early Gentiles were like, well, praise God for that. And then in Acts 16, you could go and read it for yourself. Paul gets with Timothy. They're getting ready to go to a, a, to a place where there were a lot of Jews. And it's just literally one sentence, somewhere around verse 10, I think. It says, and then Paul circumcised Timothy. And then they went because there were a lot of Jews. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I have some really good friends in my life. And not a single one of you I'm letting anywhere near me with an X-Acto knife to, so that I can go do this. But the point is, like, what is it that was right or wrong there? The fact of the matter is, Timothy had the right to not have to do that. He could even make a theology case for it. But so that he could be all things to all people that some might be saved, Paul talked about. Get your sharp rock, and I'm going to do that for the kingdom. God is not asking a single one of us to do that right now. But if we have to come back in here with a face mask on, and just because it's, it, it makes others feel comfortable and others don't, then maybe we do that. Uh, as it relates to us personally, I, I literally don't know. This little building we have here, it's kind of not lost on me that we're building a bigger building. At first I was like, well, that was dumb. Now we're going to have all this space and nobody can be in it. Or it was really brilliant of God because now we can have, we can have people in there, but we have room to spread out a little bit. Uh, and I'll tell you, as, as leaders, as elders, man, we are seeking the Lord, like wanting to, what is right? What do we do? What's wrong? How do we do this? And everything's on the table, whether that's seven nights a week we do gatherings of 50 people, whether that is we have 50 in the front and 50 in the back, like the church equivalent of a mullet party, what, no business in the front, party in the back. I guess Buford goes in the back. But, you know, Jason leads up front. I'm preaching. We flip flop. Like, I just want you to know everything is on the table. What's not on the table is that we're not going to gather as believers in a safe and sensible way. That's not on the table. It's not on the table in Pakistan. It's not on the table in North Africa. And it's not going to be on the table here. If we can do it safe and we can do it sensibly. That's why this afternoon, when we come together for this Beyond Our Walls event at the Ag Center, okay, we have the, the support of our governor. Uh, we have the support of our local county mayor, the, the city mayor. And even we've got a message coming from uh, someone from the White House. What we're doing this afternoon is not illegal. Right? And then the next question is, okay, so that is our right to do that, but is it right to do that? Could we come together in cars? It's like boy in a bubble, but everybody's bubble is their Honda, right? And the Holy Spirit came on that day, and she came in a Honda. Remember that old tongues joke? She came in a Honda. Uh, so we might have tongues. I don't know. We're going to be there today in a safe and sensible way, and it is right to come together. It is right for us to be together, to worship and to pray and to repent in a way that isn't going to hurt anybody. And if people are persecuting because of that, I want to encourage you and me as conduits, do not 
repay evil with evil, but repay good. By good, we will overcome evil. That's about as practical and ground level as I could get. Like, we don't know in our church building. We know that we're going to come together and we're going to do it safe. And we know that we're not going to demand it because it's our rights. We're going to do what is right in the eyes of God. Now, how do we do all of that? Like, where does the power? Everything you just said, Darren, sounds great. How do I do that? And practically speaking, I would just say that comment you were about to put online, take a step back. Take a breath. If it's right today, right tomorrow. There's practical ways to do this. But I want to tell you that the power to bless and not curse, the power to make it so that it's not just another form of works, comes from the gospel. In this passage, it's implied, and actually, as I was driving in this morning, just seeking the Lord and like, what do you want to say today? This actually came to me on 840, somewhere between Arno and 65, that this idea of in doing this, so verse 1220, okay, so what is persecution? Someone coming after you and attacking you. What do we do about persecution? We bless, we don't curse them. And how do we do that? The power of it is right here. Uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And listen, in verse uh, 20, in doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Not the stick it to him and take a lap around the fist fight. In this day and age, when Paul wrote this, this was a colloquialism. I think I said that word right. Uh, in, in most developing nations, this is how it is. You, have to, you live by fire. Fire is something that keeps you alive. The difference between then and now is that if I run out of fire, I just go to my Vicky, um, neighbor Vicky, and she hands me the lighter with a long stick on it, and I can light my grill that way. That wasn't an option then. We didn't, you didn't have a, a match. You didn't, so you had to work for your fire, work hard to keep the fire going. But if your fire went out, rather than getting out the stick and going bare grills on it, you went to your neighbor's house and said, hey, I'm out, my fire's out, and your neighbor would have fire, they would take hot coals from their fire, put it in the clay pot that you bring with you, and again, develop, you get in the picture, developing nation, the clay pot, if you've ever traveled to Haiti or Africa, wherever, the clay pot goes on your head, and you walk home, and you take that fire that was on your head, and you take it back home for your fire. Darren, what does that have to do with anything? The gospel, it's absolutely jumped out at me. That the fire of God's judgment, His holiness, I cannot stand in His presence without the forgiveness and the work of Christ without being burned down. That's why it was represented as fire on the mountain with Moses. It's represented as fire throughout Scripture. And that fire of God that I can't allow on me, it would kill me, God's fix for that was to put that fire on Jesus. The fire of God's judgment. You can look in the Psalms with it. And, and that, the, the blood that trickled down his, his head. I mean, have you ever gotten blood in your eyes? Again, back to my redneck roots. You get punched in the nose and you get blood in your eyes. It stings because it's hot and it burns like fire. By the way, burned like salt, burned with salt. That's one of the language things that Jesus used. That blood coming down Jesus' head represented the fire of God. Turned on him the wrath of God. Galatians 3, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. He took the curse from Genesis 3 on himself. And by the way, not cosmic child abuse. Colossians says that God was there in Christ on the cross. That's not cosmic child abuse at all. He took the fire himself so that we could stand in his presence with that fire, just like fire. Remember the old, when you're a kid, that old story about, you know, of the purity talk, like fire in the fireplace, good. 
fire in your hand, not so good. It'll burn you. The same fire that can heal you can kill you. So think with me. Jesus taking that fire for us. Now that fire being put in a clay pot, Jesus becoming fully man. God says, I remember that you were dust. Paul called the human body a a jar of clay. He took that fire in him so that when we put that clay, so to speak, this is all metaphor, on our head, the fire of God can be with us without burning us. Acts chapter 2, verse 3. The Holy Spirit came, appeared above them like what? Tongues of fire above their head. It didn't kill them. It didn't consume them. Because Jesus, the body of Jesus, the clay of Jesus between us and the fire, the fire that should have killed us now indwells us, the power of the Holy Spirit and fire on all of us. And when I remember that that's why, that's literally the book of Romans in a nutshell. Romans 1, you've been in sin. This is trouble. I mean, think if you're the church at Rome and you're in such suffering like these guys were, I mean, what do you think God, I would want him to talk about how I can go down and protest at the, at the Capitol. And by the way, if you've done that, I'm not, I'm not shaming you at all. But I'm saying that when you leave the protest from the Capitol, you just feel more angry. When I take this gospel and I go yesterday or today or this week and I go and I present Jesus's love to somebody who can't repay me, I am protesting. I'm protesting the kingdom of darkness and I leave not feeling more angry. I feel fulfilled. Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down. And so you're, that's what's happening inside of you. You are taking the battle to the front lines, not of the government, but of the kingdom of darkness. And again, you can read through the entire book of Romans and you won't find a single place where Paul says, go to Rome and protest. But he does say, repay good with evil, overcome evil with good. That's what the cross did. The cross was Jesus being good and Jesus's goodness overcoming evil. Doesn't mean we don't stand up for our rights sometimes. It doesn't mean that we have to just roll over all the time. It just means that whatever is right is what we do. Not my rights, but what is right is what we do. He on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin. The the God that cursed the ground of Genesis 3, that cursed the humans in Genesis 3 because they sinned, said that curse, now I'm going to take that curse on me so that you don't take it at all. If you're in Christ right now, that's you. Like that clay pot on top of you, those tongues of fire, so to speak, that Holy Spirit is on you now because Jesus took that fire for you. And when I take that every day further inside of me and further inside of me, the frustrations that I get, you know, if you've been around me, you know that I've been taking a global view of this a lot. It's been heartbreaking that the economy that has crashed right here in our own country is definitely harming people and there's physical things happening. But the UN released a warning this week, like hundreds of millions of people being pushed to the edge of poverty by our cure. Hundreds of thousands of children are, will die because of this. So I'm taking this global view and I really felt like the Lord nudging me a little bit and saying, that's great, Darren. Now take the God view, not the global view. What am I doing in this moment? Paul didn't deal with the temporal, he dealt with the eternal. And that's why whatever books were written back then, they're not here anymore. But this is here because this was an eternal truth. The gospel is eternal. And should Jesus tarry, and we're here another 20 years, everything we do now is something we'll get to do again. Uh, People look back on this time with what God has done in us. I would encourage you this morning, if you're not in Christ, right? If, If that 
clay jar, so to speak, of heaping coals of kindness on your head hasn't been placed there yet, and you know that that fire hits you, you will be consumed. I pray that you will take a thought this morning, take a step and and pray that Jesus, uh, Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, believe in your heart, right, that he rose from the dead. That's not just a poem that you recite. It's actually a position that you take to say that my way of Romans 1 didn't work for me so good. Right? My way of Romans 1, my, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way. It, it's not working for you and it's not working for the world. And I pray that today that you'll receive that gift inside of you that we all have. Doesn't mean that you won't struggle with sin from here out. That's Romans 6 and 7, right? You're struggling with it. Where you get in trouble is when you say, well, that's just how I'm made. I'm tapping out. But Romans 8 tells us that even if you're struggling with it because of the gospel, that there's therefore now no condemnation to you who are in Christ. So this is not a works-based thing at all. It's just the goodness and the grace of God. And so as you receive that now, I pray that you'll receive that. And those of us who are Jesus people, I pray that you'll put your tongue, your sharp sword down and pick up the tongue that speaks blessings on our enemies. Does that make sense?